Hello, and welcome back to the Come, Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today. Whether you're LDS or not, whether you're religious or not, whether you're uh, interested in the book of Amos (laughs) or not, thanks for joining me today, wherever you are. uh, Glad to have you. We are working our way through the Minor Prophets, following the schedule of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints going through the Old Testament, and today uh, we're covering Amos a little bit. It's Amos and Obadiah this week. Uh, That's what's on the docket. So uh, I'm going to look at Amos chapter 5 a little bit and uh, Amos chapter 9, the end of the book, the last several verses. So that's where we'll be. And... uh, you know, a little note, I guess, on a couple of things. Number one, uh, I, I didn't mention this in the last episode. Minor prophets are called minor prophets, not because they're minor in any way other than their their prophecies, their books are just a little bit shorter most of the time than the, uh, than the other prophets. I, I don't know if anyone rivals the length of Daniel, because Daniel's what, 12 chapters? I think Daniel's 12 chapters. And... Uh, well, Zechariah is 14 chapters, I know. Hosea is 14 chapters also. So maybe it's a word count thing. I don't know. But but they're called minor prophets because of the uh, shortness of the books. And Daniel is considered a major prophet along with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So that's that's the whole minor major thing that's going on there. It's not like you know the major prophets were sure about and the minor prophets were not so sure about. N- nothing like that. And uh, an- another quick note is the day of the Lord. I-, I didn't really talk about that last time because we didn't we didn't examine that phrase in the text of Joel. We were in Joel chapter three in the last episode, and uh, it's going to come up right from the beginning here in Amos chapter five. The day of the Lord is a very important term, not just in the minor prophets, but in the Old Testament as a whole. Uh, you get it in Isaiah and some other places besides the minor prophets. But the, the day of the Lord has to do with God's judgment. There are times when there's a reference to the day of the Lord in a, uh, in a sense that's like coming soon upon nations that are Israel's enemies, and, and God did visit them in judgment in certain ways. I mean, you can think of some real basic ways, like with uh, Egypt, when Israel was in captivity— and they fled from Egypt. Well, God visited Egypt in judgment through the plagues, through the killing the warriors through in the Red Sea, all of that sort of stuff. You've got judgment being visited in real time upon these nations that are enemies of Israel. But so often the day of the Lord has its ultimate fulfillment in the future, in a, in a big show of God's judgment. So some people will talk about the day of the Lord like, well, there have been a whole bunch of, day of the, days of the Lord. God will visit uh, these these nations with his judgment, and that's the day of the Lord every time that happens. Well, yes and no. Uh, ultimately, all of those times that God visits nations and judgment, it's a foreshadowing of the ultimate day of judgment, which is uh, far off in the future um, from these minor prophets. It may not be too far off from our future. That, of course, remains to be seen. But they're always talking about the day of the Lord as in a, a future tense, Okay? It's always spoken of as the day will come from the prophet's perspective. 
And that's where we're going to be in Amos chapter 5. When we talk about the day of the Lord, this prophet Amos is talking about a future time of God's ultimate justice, his judgment being on display in Israel. And uh, a little note, too, about Israel at this time, there's just a lot of hypocrisy. Amos is here addressing the hypocrisy in the nation of people who act like they're close to God, but their hearts are actually far from him. That's the dynamic. So we're jumping into Amos rebuking Israel and bringing up this day of the Lord that's coming uh, for the judgment that the world deserves, God's perfect, just judgment. Amos chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, There is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, Alas, alas! They also call the farmer to mourning, and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there is wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and leans his hand on against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? All right, so uh, you've got these Israelites who are mourning, you know, with their fake tears. What's that called? Crocodile tears? They're, they've got professional mourners where they're saying, hey, uh, let's go out into the streets and make a big show of our sadness over, over sin and our sadness over, you know, whatever we're supposed to be sad about. And God is saying, I see your hearts. I know your hearts. And you're out here wailing, oh, that the day of the Lord would come, that God's justice would come to the earth. And God says, what, what good is that going to be to you? You are going to be judged for your hypocrisy. And this is a, uh, a pretty important statement for God to make to them, right? You, you think that the day of the Lord is going to be good for you? Uh, think again, right? It's like a man who is running from a lion and a bear meets him. Oh, my. And he goes home, and he, he finally gets some rest, and he puts his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Yeah, you guys think that you're getting relief from your enemies when I visit them in judgment? Well, I'm going to visit you too, Israel. That's what God is saying. Well, let's keep reading. Amos 5.21, I hate, reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." Well, that's a a pretty famous verse. Maybe you've heard that before. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And perhaps there have been people who have used that thinking, yes, God's going to provide justice against my enemies, and I will be safe. But that's what Israel was doing, and Israel was wrong for saying that because they were hypocrites. They had uh, this 
wickedness, this evil in them, this idolatry within them that needed to be judged too. And so God's justice, it uh, it's an equal opportunity event here. <laughs> when God's justice comes into the world, there's no stone left unturned. And so even the people who are singing to God, who are very religious, who go through all those religious motions and do the things that they've been told they're supposed to do, none of that matters if their hearts aren't in the right place. I mean, God straight up says here in this passage that I just read that he hates and utterly rejects those sacrifices that people make because God's never been about just the outward action. He's always been about the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God looks upon the heart. And what does he find when he looks there? That's a very important question. What does God see when he looks upon the heart of a religious person? Well, of of course, it depends on the person. But uh, for many, I mean, Israel here in this situation, and for many even today, when God looks upon the heart, he doesn't find truth, and he doesn't find true loving devotion to him or, or to the gospel. He doesn't find a heart that's been shaped and revolutionized by the gospel. Instead, he finds people who love themselves and they've made themselves idols in many cases, or they have other idols. They seek after the desires of their own flesh. They don't love their neighbor. They don't love God. They, they haven't been changed. They're just like the rest, sinful people. And God's judgment is going to visit them. They will not be okay just because they went to church. They won't be okay because they had a position in the church or they did some service opportunity or because they read a certain book or because they prayed a certain prayer or because they were born into a certain family and they got baptized here by this person at this time. No, no, none of that makes you good with God. What makes you good with God is that you have a heart that's been shaped and changed by the gospel. You have a heart that's been that's been changed by truth. You've been so affected by God that you're a different person. That's what makes the difference. And God is saying here to his people Israel that they hadn't been changed and that they were going to receive justice. But praise God, that's not the end of the story for Israel. In Amos's prophecy here, he gives them hope, hope of future restoration. This is chapter 9, the very end of the book, starting in verse 7. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken from a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword, those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. So before he gets into the really good encouraging part, (laughs) not that one part of Scripture is good and another part isn't, but before he gets into the real encouraging, hopeful, comforting part, he reminds them, of course, that 
His judgment's coming. And there's going to be a remnant who will be saved. Yet those who say, ah, we're good. Calamity's not going to befall us. There's not going to be any confrontation with God. We're good. We're good with God. I've heard that so many times from people who have no idea what that even means. You know, we're, we're good. Well, they are going to be visited in judgment. They will suffer calamity. God's justice will confront them. That's going to be a, a terrible day for them. But nevertheless, there will be a, a remnant. He's going to shake the house of Israel, and he will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, he declares in this passage. And so now let's look at the, the really hopeful, encouraging part, the last five verses of the book. Verse 11, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens eat and eat their fruit. And I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Well, that is very hopeful. That's a great note to end on. Thanks, Amos. Uh, though ultimately this, of course, was God's decision to end the prophecy this way. Thank God that there is a hopeful future for Israel. These people that are so deserving of judgment, that are deserving of calamity, they are here given hope that a remnant will be saved, and that remnant will have great blessing. That remnant will grow. That remnant will enjoy the land that God gave them, have all kinds of agricultural blessings, and forever and ever they will be secure by God's gracious choice. That's what's going to happen with Israel. That's so cool. And I think from this, I mean, because this can be difficult, right? You're not Israel. Uh, This promise to have all these agricultural blessings wasn't given to you. I mean, if you've had a garden, you know that it hasn't been exactly like that. Um, You know, if you grow grapes or whatever, it's not like, it's like, whoa, I don't even have to really do much. And I'm just overflowing and, and the hills are dripping sweet wine. You know, you don't really have that experience, do you? Well, that's because this is a promise that's given to Israel and it's yet future. However, we're seeing something here that we can, of course, apply to ourselves in that all hypocrisy will be judged and God is going to expose, we, we talked about this last time from 1 Corinthians 4, God's going to expose the motives of men's hearts at his second coming and there will be a perfect judgment at that time. And so we do well to consider now the motives of our hearts. There are perhaps some of you listening to this who are religious people, but your hearts are actually far from God. You're religious because you've been told what to do. You think you're doing what is right uh, because you've just simply been told, but you've not actually considered the truths of Scripture, and you haven't been changed by the truths of Scripture. You haven't gotten to know the God of the Bible. You haven't heard the biblical gospel and considered its impact. Maybe you've heard the gospel but never really considered how that actually would rock your world if you believed. 
Well, well, God knows. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't sit here and exalt you or condemn you, but but God knows, and we need to consider that reality. That should be brought to bear on our lives. That that God knows our hearts, and He is the perfect Judge, and there will be a day of judgment. And so, our role in the here and now is to initially examine ourselves with the gospel and and seek if to understand if if we even understand it or if we've truly believed. And then from that point forward, if we truly believe, to move forward in living for God. That is what, what God has, has called us to do, is to live for Him in light of the truths that He has revealed in the Bible, that we would love Him and serve Him and know assuredly that there is no calamity for us in the future, but not on the basis of our religious deeds, on the basis of His saving grace. And that's the big distinction. You can't have assurance that you will escape God's judgment if you're resting on your religious works in any sense. If you don't understand the gospel, that's what you're going to do. If you believe in God, you're going to say, well, God wants me to to do all these things to merit my own security. You could never merit your own security, your own peace, your own safety. Instead, you are only to rely on the one true God and his saving grace in your life. And that's now, of course, through the gospel of Christ. And the gospel isn't something for you to do. The gospel is something for you to recognize that Jesus has done and to not work to earn favor with God, but to believe in his name. And and then you can be like the one who doesn't have his sin imputed to him. That Psalm 32 talks about and Romans chapter 4 talks about but your sin is cast away as far as the east is from the west because you've relied on the merits of Christ, who is God himself, who came here to live a perfect life and die the death that you deserved and rise again, that through his merit you may be saved by trusting, relying on, believing in his name, his work alone. That's the gospel. And if that's your gospel, you can have total, utter assurance for all eternity that God's judgment will not befall you. You will not have a day of reckoning. But instead now, you go and you live for God, and you do have religious works that follow, but it's because of what has already happened, not because you're trying to secure your own safety through some sort of process of merit. The gospel is not a meritocracy. Salvation is not a meritocracy. But the gospel is about relying on what Jesus has done. So I guess in that sense, it is a meritocracy. It's Jesus's merit, not your own. That's the hope that we have as Christians. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful to see that from the book of Amos. Thanks again for joining me today. What do we got next time? After Amos and Obadiah on the schedule is the whole book of Jonah and the whole book of Micah. All right. Well, we'll all find out together where I go with that one. Thanks for joining me today. God bless.